0: hello welcome back to the intercall podcast this is fleur your host so happy to have you here today we are back well i am back after a two-week break it was a little unplanned life got a little crazy you know when it rains it pours my family unfortunately had a family passing my sweet, sweet grandmother who was 96 and one of the most incredible people i've ever had the opportunity to meet and spend time with in my life so she will be greatly missed and we did get to properly say goodbye to her but it meant no podcast for two weeks i was just running around which is actually a really good lead in to our conversation today because my guest melissa bernstein really speaks to how we can bring peace to the body and i have used since the time that i had this conversation with her A lot of tips and tricks that came about from this conversation. You know, one of the things that I always knew, but really it helped bring it home was we talk about the body-mind connection in this episode and how it's not or shouldn't really be considered the mind-body. Meaning, we actually have more neurons that travel body to mind, and you're going to hear this in the episode, than mind to body, which for me made all the crazy travel, all the back and forth, all the stress around family a little easier because I brought my tools and we talk about the tools that I brought in this episode to help bring peace to my nervous system for me to be able to calm myself down, to regulate the vagus nerve. We talk about all of that in today's episode and it allowed me to be fully present in a very difficult time a time of saying goodbye and able to be highly intuitive as to what I needed, what what she needed, what needed to be done in the preliminary and, and eventual passing, it was really beautiful. So, you know, it's, we can, of course, we go through these really difficult things in life and nobody can avoid that, that's just part of life. However, we can bring our tools and our practices into the room, like literally into the room, and allow the heart to speak, allow the intuition to speak, what's needed, the intuition to speak, what's needed for other people. And I feel like today's episode is particularly juicy in that department because we dive deep into not only how we regulate and how we bring peace to the body and the tools that can be used for that, but also... The journey that melissa has gone on in her own life as to what it means to to be a spiritual person because she is a powerhouse she's an entrepreneur she's a creative she's a working mother of six in 1988 she and her husband co-founded a company called melissa and doug and they started it out of their parents garage which i think is amazing. And it grew and grew and grew into a wildly successful toy company. They spent 30 years helping kids discover themselves, their passions and their purpose. And then in 2020, her life shifted and, you know, a lot of our lives shifted, but she had this spiritual call and she started her own personal journey of self-discovery and acceptance. And she co-founded what is now a company called lifelines and that allows her to bring this unparalleled creativity and imagination to reinvent well-being products that help adults strengthen their resilience stay grounded and unlock their full potential and that is really what we talk about today i love 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 how intuitive melissa is you're gonna hear that throughout this entire podcast and we're gonna do it in two parts again so enjoy part one today and thank you for listening leave a review tell me what you thought of it and i hope you enjoy the episode Hey, Melissa. Hello. Hi. Is that a real background? Of course. That's so nice. Isn't it
1: nice? It's my, it's, this is my, my studio, but this is where I, where
0: I live. Oh, that's beautiful. What if I'm just going to, st- I'm going to stare at the view, not at you. <laughs> Good. That's why I do it. I want people to not focus on me. Well, it's so nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I didn't realize you were such a a young thing. Oh, well, this round face. I mean, I'm turning 33 in a few days, so I don't know. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm turning 33, so it's it's the round cheeks. They fool people, you know. Well, Jen had so many wonderful things to say about you. Oh my gosh, I love her. How did you meet How did you meet Jen? You know, we live around the corner from each other in Lisbon. In Portugal. You do? Yeah, I'm I'm in a bit of a weird I'm in Mexico City right now, and yesterday I was in New York, but usually I live in Portugal. <laughs> so I am I'm a little bit all over the place at the moment. But uh, yeah, Jen and I like live right down the street from each other. Lisbon is a true village, like everybody knows everybody. So we actually met in a very funny way. One of my good friends was telling me something smart, Yehuda had said, Jen's husband. And as he's like saying this very brilliant thing, the two of them walk around the corner. And so we're like, oh, well, how did the, you know, the, uh, the guru's mouth over here. And then we connected. Wow.
1: So, yeah. That's incredible. I hope to have the chance to, to meet her because uh, we met. Doing her po- podcast, and uh, we've just had a really nice connection. And she's introduced me to some of the most extraordinary people. She's like a, you know, she started in recruiting. She's
0: like the ultimate connector. She really is. She's a little spider in a web. It's very, very true. Yeah, and she was telling me a lot about you, and and it was very interesting because I have this new podcast, and it's called The Inner Call, where. We tune into how do are people creating their lives? How are people really listening to the internal call, not the external? And then as she was telling me about you, you've had really two phases of your life. One that was very in the beginning, very externally driven, seemingly. It's like I've got this big, powerful company, I'm checking all the boxes. And then there's a moment where it's like, whoa, 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 is that where we want to be creating from? Is that right? Honestly,
1: it was there, was there were two phases of that. There was the first, which was going through college, really focused on, I wanted to be a lawyer and an investment banker then, and then having an epiphany while being an investment banker that I was not heeding the cry of my soul. And that's when Doug and I decided to start our toy company. So that was the first that I I got that sense, like, what am I doing this? I'm like a, a flower without sunlight and water. And then I think the toy company was heating sort of that inner cry, but still wearing the facade of someone who was trying to be perfect. And then the second sort of one came more in middle age when, you know, I realized that I wasn't being authentic to myself and to the world by sort of hiding all the, the chaos and darkness that fueled all my creation. Fascinating.
0: Now you're, you have created this, this new company that's really focused around wellness and it's called lifelines. And that came after a period of time where you're saying, okay, this is not the life that's authentic to me. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I mean, Lifelines was never meant to be a company. It was actually the name of my memoir, you know, and my, uh, all my writings from my entire life. And it was sort of that bid to say like, you know, you see me as this shiny person creating light, bright toys, but actually there's a whole lot of darkness inside that's fueling that creativity. And it wasn't even meant, it was meant to touch a few people a lot. It wasn't meant to be a bestseller. I didn't, want to create a bestseller i didn't want a shiny book with anecdotes and photos of my kids and you know one of those things so it wasn't meant to be anything more than that but it ended up becoming like shockingly because we swore we'd never do it again it ended up becoming a company and now we're creating products we're actually creating real cons- we're a consumer products company which is the most crazy thing and we're creating um in fact we today we are live with an entire line, 30 well-being products. Wow. That's, so what kind of products is it? Our ideology is called sensory immersion. It's this contention that through immersing your senses, you interrupt the stress response and enter a state of calm and joy. So we're starting with the sense of smell. So they're all products that tantalize your your nose.
0: Oh, amazing. Okay. So like essential oils
1: and things like that? Yes, it's in that category, but they're all very different than anything that's out there.
0: I'd love to actually speak on the science a little bit behind that. So what's happening when we are able to tantalize the senses? How does it override the stress response?
1: It's all science. So it's literally that you know when you have the stress response, which is from our mammalian brain, right, from thousands of years of physiology, we go into our sympathetic nervous system and the fight or flight stress response. And actually, when you immerse your senses, it interrupts that sympathetic autonomic nervous system response and puts you into your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest, restore, rejuvenation, and allows your body through the immersing in your senses, allows the sensory neurons on your vagus nerve to communicate to your brain that it's safe. And once your body feels safe, it tells your brain it's safe, and it can... Take take its foot off the the brain can take its foot off the gas pedal of the cortisol and the adrenaline flooding your body and sort of get into that calm more joyful state. That's
0: incredible. It sounds so simple. It is so simple. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you say that because only a few days ago, for the first time, I bought a vagus nerve spritz thing that I like put on my pillow. Ooh. And I also know a lot about like sympathetic and parasympathetic, and I teach a lot of it, but I was like, it just seems a bit too simple to be spraying something on a pillow and yet fantastic night's (laughs) sleep, you know? Can I tell you something? Our tagline
1: is, look, you're already doing it. Because the truth is we have these innate superpowers in us, which are our senses. The problem is with today's society and the 24-7 media cycle and technology and too much fight or flight, you know, cortisol running through our bodies. We've just desensitized ourselves from actually the innate tools that we have that are our pathway to common and joy. And it is that simple and it's joyful. And we we say it's it's fast, it's effortless, and it's fun. And it doesn't have to be punishing. So that's that's actually our whole
0: contention. I love it. It's true. I think it's such an interesting perspective to override the stress response by using the physiology rather than trying to think your way out of it.
1: Exactly. And and the neurons, believe it or not, only 20% of your neurons go from your brain to your body. They're called motor neurons. So when you cognitively try to tell yourself, don't think, focus on your breath, stop thinking that, that's ridiculous. It doesn't really work. of our neurons are called sensory neurons and they go from our body to our brain. So if we immerse our bodies in sensory pleasure, it actually is the exact pathway it's supposed to travel. It's not mind-body, it's body-mind. And then your body feels like, oh my God, wow, look at that. And it immediately, those sensory neurons travel up to your brain and they say, you can relax now, everything's okay. It's safe. Time to come out and play. And that really is what happens. We have we have a few scientists on our... We have a science advisory panel. And they really helped us craft, sort of, because I, I did it myself. This was my whole journey. It wasn't meant to be a business. I tried meditation. I couldn't meditate for the life of me. And one day when I was walking in nature, I had this epiphany that, wait a second, I didn't do anything. I was just listening to the birds, smelling the flowers, right? And it, it like... Change my life in that moment. And then I was like, wait, this is so weird. If it's that easy, why am I and everyone else trying so hard? And that's just, was the the genesis of lifelines.
0: I, I completely agree with you. I'm super passionate about that. I think there's this like old belief system that if you're not meditating on a cushion, listening to nothing, in total silence, Zen Buddhist style, then like you're not doing it right or you're not meditating. And I don't feel for most people, that's actually their access point. Like exactly. for most people, it is exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Yep. It's not that complicated. We don't have to.
1: It's not. And we, we have another tagline. We say, you know, reducing stress shouldn't be more, shouldn't be stressful. Like the, the irony is, right? We're trying to reduce stress, but we're doing things that are actually giving us more
0: stress. It's a huge part of, I because I, for me, I teach intuition. That's my, my big thing. I teach people how to oh, connect to themselves. Yeah. And as I, because I came into this work and I'll just give you a little bit of background as having been a psychic medium for 14 years. So again, baby face, but have been in the industry for a long time. And so there's like the 14 years of experience. And during that period of time, I would look at, you know, what's allowing some people to connect to their intuition and others not and created a methodology from that perspective and I think half of it is exactly what you speak about is we have to be able to override the thinking brain and meditation isn't necessarily our way in. It has to come through the body. So I'm also curious, aside from like the, the sensory smell, what other sensory experiences are you creating products for, for people and like how else? We're going to you...
1: do products in six senses, including the intuition and the mind's Ooh. eye. So yeah. we started with Amazing. smell just because, honestly, because it's the most common and we wanted with a new for a new brand, you have to kind of lead people out into the the meadow of newness. And we start, we call it, we start close to the tree of familiarity because they they already know about you know scent. And we there were so many improvements on what's out there because it's all very much the same. So we felt like we could very easily pick the low hanging fruit on that tree of innovation and start with that but then we're moving into sight and sound and touch it's going to be I'm so excited and taste oh my gosh that one's going to be interesting oh, wow. so we have a we have a whole team you know we have I think some of the most amazing engineers and designers I've ever worked with and we're we're all my design team is like second I think second to none in the world and we're really creating some incredible products
0: What does that look like in your own life? You have this knowledge that the sensory path for you is the way in. It's the way into your own calmness, to your own groundedness. What does a day look like for you? How do you add these little bits of sensory inputs? You mean for myself personally, my own practice? Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, I have to take one hour, a one hour walk in nature every single day. And and really do sort of the five, four, three, two, one, right? What am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I? I mean, I don't do it that literally, but I have to immerse myself in nature. And if I don't, I start to literally feel myself go into that stress response. You know, nature is my bomb. The other thing that is my my hero sense. So we have a whole sensory profile questionnaire we're we're starting to create. And we we will talk about what people's hero senses, which means the sense that for them is their quickest pathway to joy and calm. And for me, it's absolutely sound. And I think that's because we're 60% water as humans and sound is a vibrational frequency. So I also have to listen to music and not music that brings down my vibrational frequency, music that elevates My vibrational frequency, and I have a playlist that's one of my most treasured possessions. So I will, for at least five to 10 minutes every day, listen to my music. I have a sound bath app. Sound baths are like very stimulating for me. I listen to that before I go to bed each night, one of the nighttime baths. So, you know, there are a few things that I do every single day that really help me to, I'd say, achieve equanimity a little better than I would
0: otherwise. Yeah. Cause you're a busy lady. You've got not only this company, are you guys still in the toy business as well?
1: We are, we are minimally involved, not on a daily basis, but we are still
0: involved there. Yes. And we have six children. I was going to say you got six. That was my next thing. You got six kids. That's wild. And five, five are at home right now. Wow. Six. Oof. So how has your own journey into the sensory, into the meditation, into the spiritual, how has that integrated into parenting? How do you bring your kids to that?
1: It's an amazing question. And all I can say
0: is I've made every
1: mistake possible with my kids. As hard as starting a company has been, it was a lot easier than raising kids because it's more in, it's more controlling.
0: Lisa, well, so don't tell me that. <laughs> Where are you where are I'm you in that kid journey now? No no. I'm just on the fence, you know what I mean? I'm like, am am I doing kids in this life? Am I not doing kids in this life? But I just think it's a funny anytime I hear that I'm like, oof, maybe that's that's on the no pile then. <laughs> Sorry, continue.
1: I mean, I will tell you it's absolutely worth doing because the joys are so profound, but the lows are also really just as profound.
0: It's honest. And I think that's good. It's good to speak to the
1: honesty. It's honest. Yeah. I mean, I've always known that I wanted to both work and have children. So I think knowing that made it so, um, I felt a lot of guilt throughout my career. And I think I speak with so many women. That's one of my favorite groups to speak with because women who work feel and sometimes are made to feel that they're not doing what they should. And I think for me, you know, what I've had to do is to really own that and be really honest about the fact that I love working and that my companies are my children just as much as my children and how to communicate that to my kids so they don't feel lesser but also knowing that I need to lead by example, right? Because if I if I show them that they too can have something in their lives that brings them so much joy and meaning that they should seek that as well, then I feel like I'm doing them a really good service. So it's about showing them that they're still just as important, but that I have a lot of different things in my life that bring me meaning and to have somewhere where I can go each day and put my energies into is a really great aspiration for them as well.
0: Oh, beautiful. Have they taken to the, to the spiritual work in, in the sense of, are they, are they rubbing in the oils or are they rolling their eyes going like, oh my God, mom? <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a
1: funny question you ask because my first, my son- has gone so spiritual. He lives in Costa Rica and he's completely, he walks around in just a pair of shorts, no shoes, no shirt, is going to kirtans and kundalini activation program. And he's so spiritual. He, he is a spiritual guru. He's really gone to that extreme. And it's so joyful because I I am probably not even as evolved as he, and we really get to share that. And I would say the others you know, varying degrees of that. Some that are really like, like skeptical and kind of judgmental of it, but others that, you know, do yoga and do some of the other, you know, some of the techniques. So I would say with six, it's the full gamut. I
0: love that. Yeah. You get six to really, really see how every single one of them is so different too and unique in their own way, I imagine. It's that whole nurture versus nature thing. Exactly, completely different.
1: It's really true. And they say when you have kids, you know, you pull you you pull from the gene pool of thousands of years. So the truth is, like, if your expectation is they're going to be little mirrors of of you and your your partner, not a chance. They're they're as different from you as. Someone you'd meet on the street—that's what I find.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I imagine. It, I see that with people. You know, you're like—it's—it's it's interesting though when you meet somebody's parents. It does make a lot of sense. There's there's both aspects to it. You meet the parents, and you're like, I get it. I get it on a level I didn't understand before. So I'm sure that they have received a lot of wisdom from your your work in this field. I find it so interesting. I think in the people that would turn to your products, the the sensitive people, the people who find their nervous system is overwhelmed by our world today, which is a loud loud world. I think they often also really struggle with that existential dread that you that you speak about in your life, which is this like why am I here? What am I doing? What's the point of it all? Can you speak a little bit about your your first awareness of what that was? Sure.
1: I mean honestly, I feel like from the moment I took my first breath, I was questioning like why was I born into this, you know, meaningless world? It's it was that deep. And you know, even my mother she said that I cried 24/7 for my first year of life and was unable to be consoled. And I I truly think it was that sort of even back then I was just like why am I here? What am I supposed to do, you know, while I'm here and Why am I just going to die one day? And I think that sense of meaninglessness can can crop up at any point in our lives. And it's called the existential vacuum, right? It's when we aren't sure what we're doing and why we're doing it, and we don't have really purposeful, meaningful activities. And until I was able to really understand that, and I think without sort of a course out of it, you can become a nihilist. So, a nihilist is the darkest form of existential dread, and a nihilist basically believes there's no meaning to existence, and they, as individuals, have no ability to make meaning in a meaningless existence. It's deep, and at that low, that's when people take their lives because if you believe you're powerless against the forces of, you know, fate and mortality that are bringing you down with them, then you know you might say it's easier to not be in this world than to, to suffer like that. So I think I was a nihilist for a pretty long time until I started to find my pathway
0: out. What does that look like now? Does it still come up from time to time or does that pathway out kind of balance it?
1: It's a great question. It, it was a long journey out, to be very honest with you, because, you know, having those dark feelings from the time I it was three, four years old, right, and really questioning, like, why am I here and hearing that drumbeat of mortality and having this voice in my head say, it's all meaningless. End it, Melissa. Like, you're not going to make anything of meaning in your life. And I had this voice in my head telling me to end my life. It was dark. And when I tried to show even an inkling of that to anyone in my world, the look of horror on their faces quickly made me realize that I was going to need to repress all of it. Mm. So the only way I existed in the world, I didn't show a bit of it to anyone. I mean, I, I probably did early on, and I remember having people say to me, "You're just a child. Like you don't, you're not supposed to be thinking about things like that. Don't think about things like that. Go out and play." And be carefree like all the other kids. And I remember even at three and four thinking, do they think I want to be thinking these things? Like I'm looking at these kids out there having so much fun, like looking so joyous. And, and don't you think I don't want to be out there playing with them? But I, I couldn't. I was trapped in that nihilistic thinking. So what I ended up doing, which wasn't the right path, but it was my coping mechanism, is repressing all the darkness like deep, 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 and resorting to two coping strategies that many, especially women do, which were one, pleasing, right? If I couldn't get my validation from being who I really was, which was this dark, deep, introverted, I thought ugly, right, person, I was going to just become a good girl who did everything that was expected of me, got all the pats on the back and all the good stars and like, the gold stars and, and, and the accolades. So I did that. And then the second, which was even, I think more damaging ultimately was perfectionism, which is part of pleasing, but perfectionism was in everything I do, right. All my pursuits, all my behavior and all my looks, you know, my, my outside appearance, I'm just going to aspire to be perfect. And anything short of a hundred percent means I'm worthless and a failure. And you know, early on that is somewhat attainable, right? Because I was a great student. I did everything I needed to do. Like I followed what society told me to do. But as I got older, that started to become harder and harder. As the bar got higher and higher, right? It it became a pathway to a horrific breakdown in college.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, we both had a horrific breakdown in college for all the same really? reasons. You <laughs> yeah, did Oh, yeah. When I came into college, I mean, I was straight-A student. Uh, the U.S. has AP classes. I was in eight AP classes my last senior year. I was president of four clubs. Like, ridiculous, ridiculous. You know, like, honestly, if I look back at my resume, like, it did crazy amounts of community service, like, just was, like, coming into it from not only this idea of perfectionism, but also a bit of an immigrant mentality, because my parents had immigrated to the US and it was very much like, this is like where we need to succeed. And I was like, great, we will do it perfectly. <laughs> we did, will. You go, did you go in the US to college? Yep. I went to UCLA, but got to UCLA and was like burned out. Like really was like, I am now doing two majors. I'm Baristaing to pay for things. I'm coaching fencing on the sides. I'm still trying to be in all these clubs. I'm trying to like it was just you know I'm trying to be a doctor. I'm trying to be and it just got to a place of of like crisis really totally burned out. It was definitely the beginning of my spiritual journey at at nineteen years old. But I interestingly had somewhat of a different experience that I that I was thinking about when you were speaking about your existential depression, I had a little bit of the opposite where I had this moment where I was like, oh, this is not all there is, which I had known as a child, but I had conveniently forgotten. And then I was like, "Uh uh-oh, if this is not all there is, what does that mean? (laughs) And, And I actually probably would have liked at that moment for somebody to say, nope, this is it. What you do in this lifetime is the only thing that matters. You can control that. That is very like controllable and and it has parameters and it has limits and it has like expectations. But now if we're taking that and we're saying life goes potentially on forever and your consciousness continues to exist, what am I supposed to do with that? Like I was like, I can't win that game. Like that's an unwinnable game. And it for me was like almost existential crisis but in the opposite where it was that sense of, oh. It like, was too muchness. Yeah, I was like, "Oh no, no, let's <laughs> let's back it down." Like, let's not create this sense of infinity. Like that's too much. So, I I had that same kind of 18, 19 years old, just that sense of like you can't keep doing the perfectionist Well, I will. I I I wish I could say I dropped it at that point, but it took another like decade. But that I think is the societal programming of women as well. But yeah, it's such an interesting discussion because I think if you're at all sensitive, if you've got a nervous system that overreacts, there's an awareness and an observation of the world, and I think it just inherently leads to a moment where you're asking these questions.
1: I couldn't agree with you more, and I think you know it's funny. I was just talking to someone before we spoke. You know, we have six sort of young females in our family, well, seven, but six that have gone through the college journey and all six have had the same crash at the exact same time. We're talking 18 to 19, like exact same, different people. So it's something about, I think, this pressure we put on ourselves and going to college where you feel even more sort of extrinsically motivated and having to perform in a way. And it's that crisis between the extrinsic, right, which is what society and our families and, you know, role models are telling us to do, and that cry of our own soul to be seen authentically, the inner call that's saying like, no, that's not who you are. And I think when those two start to to you know, diverge on the path. I think we we face that that crisis.
0: Yeah, and it does feel like a crisis because you're like, uh oh, everything I've worked for. Are we throwing that away? <laughs> you know, and and you're still quite young in that phase. You know, gosh, because now that's that's a while ago for me and and longer ago for you. But it, it does really feel like you're you're seemingly going against what you should be doing. And I think people can have that crisis maybe at 19, but I'm sure there's many people having it at 30, at 40, at 50, that same moment of I cannot keep doing this dance to the beat of somebody else's drum.
1: Exactly. And I think the older, you know, the older you are when you have it, I had it twice, right? I had it then, but I also had it in later You know, later in middle age. And then it was really about the exhaustion. And I feel like, you know, I speak to so many people who are in the throes of of crisis, right? Um, Whatever you want to call it an existential crisis, a mid age crisis, just a crisis of despair. And the word they always use is exhausted. Because when you are trying to be someone you're not and when you're denying your authenticity, it is nothing short of exhausting. It's like you're you're trying to damn, you know, you're a dam that's trying trying to hold back your truth. Right. Who you are and that dam, it can hold it back pretty effectively in your teens and your 20s and even your 30s. But I feel like as you enter your 40s, the the dam of repression starts to crack. And and some of those feelings that have been repressed start to to break through, and to me, that's kind of the metaphor for when the crisis starts to um, appear.
0: Yeah, as you speak of that, I find I'm just doing some self reflecting here, and I'm like, huh. It it is interesting though, because once you recognize it, and I wonder if this is true for you as well. It's almost impossible to repress again. It's totally
1: impossible. It's like a lion a lion gets out of the cage. And once you're, I think of it as helixing upward, right? And once you're starting the spiral upward, you're, you're drawn and you're pulled sort of toward the light, so to speak. And there's, there's no going back. And it's funny you say that because I have many people, cause I, I, I coach people basically every day, just people, random people who reach out to me. Cause that's like what brings me the most meaning. And so many say to me, like, I I don't have the courage. How do I get the courage? How do I do it, right? How do I, I, I manifest my truth? And I say to them, if you're asking, how do you get it? You don't have it yet. Because the truth is, once you are truly ready and once the exhaustion over hiding it is so dire that you don't have any choice but to come out and say this is who i am then you never look back again and if you're still questioning it it means you haven't reached that critical point where there's no
0: choice Thanks for listening thanks for being here don't forget subscribe if you are one of the people that listen to our podcast and we actually got stats back like 70 percent of you listen and you're not subscribed and it would just be the best gift to subscribe so click that little button so that you can be a subscriber you can be an any at the inner call podcast Versus an Audi, come be an Innie at the Inner Call podcast. So subscribe, we would really appreciate it so that we can bring more guests, bigger guests, guests you love. Thanks for being here.